electric guitars of Mike Bloomfield and Bob Dylan blasting out Maggie's Farm into the night air of the Newport Folk Festival. Welcome to Joe Boyd's A to Z. I ain't gonna work on Maggie's Farm no It was July 25th, 1965, Bob Dylan's famous plugged-in set. I had the greatest gig a non-musician could have that summer, production manager for both the Newport Jazz and Folk Festivals. I persuaded my friend, the great producer Paul Rothschild, to mix the sound. For Dylan's set, we'd marked the board and all the amps in pink fluorescent lines at the sound check so he'd be at full volume the instant Dylan hit. The audience was in shock. While the crowd was cheering and booing in equal measure, I was being harangued backstage by the board members of the nonprofit that ran the festival, the old guard, Pete Seeger, Alan Lomax, and Theodore Bickell. They were furious at what Dylan was doing and ordered me to go out and tell Rothschild to turn the sound down. But seated behind the desk, along with Paul, was Dylan's manager, Albert Grossman, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary, the token youth on the festival board. Yarrow told me to tell them the board was represented at the sound controls and that he thought the sound was just fine. Then he said, and tell Lomax, and he extended his middle finger. The battlefield for this generational struggle within the folk movement was staked out the previous winter when I relayed to Rothschild a tip I'd received about this great band of young white and black musicians in Chicago. I was born in Chicago in 1941. I was born in Chicago in 1941. Well, my father told me, son, you had better get Paul was now head of A&R for Electra Records. He met me in Chicago, and we went to hear the Paul Butterfield Band. Butterfield and Rothschild were enthusiastic about my suggestion of adding Mike Bloomfield on lead guitar, and the new lineup went into the studio that spring, just after signing to Grossman's management company. Without even having a record out, the Butterfield Band was now the hottest rumor on the scene. Despite the festival lineup having already been set, Yarrow persuaded the board to extend a late Newport invitation to the Butterfield Band. (laughs) ¶¶ 
mid-July, Top 40 Radio was full of the Birds version of Mr. Tambourine Man. Then Dylan released his six-minute long take of Like a Rolling Stone with drums and electric guitar and that famous Al Cooper organ figure and radio stations were playing it like crazy. The older generation who had led the folk movement during the 40s and 50s was starting to sense that it was becoming something they didn't understand and had no hope of controlling. When they got to Newport that weekend and smelled pot everywhere, they panicked. Many already hated Grossman and blamed him for Dylan's radical departure from the acoustic protest songs of the past. They even accused him of supplying the musicians with marijuana. Saturday night, Grossman told me and Paul that Dylan would play his Sunday evening set backed by the new stablemates, the Butterfield Band, plus Al Cooper on keyboards. Yarrow was excited. He supervised the sound check. It is essential that you get your levels for your for your instruments and for your amplifiers and get them into your heads. Can I say And sat expectantly beside Rothschild at the sound desk, waiting for Dylan's appearance halfway through the evening. Once upon a time, you dress so fine through the bumps of dime in your prime. They had only rehearsed three songs. When Like a Rolling Stone ended, Dylan left to a confused roar. And Yarrow took the mic to try and mollify the crowd. Yes, he will do another tune, I'm sure. We call him back. Would you like Bobby to sing another song? I don't know what he means. He's got to get. He's got to get an acoustic guitar. It took almost ten minutes to persuade Dylan to come back, and when he did, he seemed to be singing this song straight at the old guard. You must leave now. Take what you need. You think will last. But whatever you wish to keep, you'd better grab it fast. Yonder stands your orphan with his gun. 
crying like a fire in the sun. Look out, the saints are coming through, and it's all over now, baby blue. We, the youth, were excited about what had happened. But there was a sadness, too. The folk festival was a wonderful thing. It wasn't supposed to be the epicenter of a rock revolution. Rather, a meeting point for traditional musicians of America to encounter the young kids who were trying to connect with the country's roots. But it would never be the same. Popular music would never be the same, either. The Beatles and Stones were still writing boy-meets-girl songs and wearing stage uniforms in 1965. Dylan, singing about Maggie's farm, dressed in jeans in front of a classic Chicago blues lineup of two guitars, keyboard, bass, and drums, and bringing a folkish authenticity to it, well, I think that was the birth of what came to be known as rock for better or for worse. Meanwhile, an R&B sideman living in a cold-water apartment in Harlem was spending his girlfriend's last grocery money buying a Bob Dylan album. Two years later, at the Monterey Pop Festival, he would create his own revolution. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine Through the bumps of diamond in your prime Well, didn't you? People call, say, but where dog You're bound to fall, you thought they all Well, couldn't you? But that's another story. If you want to know more about that 1965 Rhode Island weekend... There's a whole book about it by Elijah Wald and a lengthy chapter in my book, White Bicycles. I can also recommend Murray Lerner's film, The Other Side of the Mirror, which has all the Dylan appearances at Newport from 1963, 1964, and 1965. Fascinating stuff. This is Joe Boyd downing tools on Maggie's farm and heading off into the land called N. Ah!